procession going along, uh, music being played, and uh, as the procession goes by, that's when Jesus cried out concerning this particular passage. And then in verse 39, we're told that the Holy Spirit had not been given at that particular time, that Jesus had not been resurrected and ascended. And uh, uh, that's the basis for our message this morning. My text is Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Peter said to them, that's the repentant Jews, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. By way of introduction, the Holy Spirit is not our problem solver. All issues we have in life, physical issues, He's not designed, it's my understanding, he's not designed to solve those particular problems. Rather, he is to give us life and sustain us in the presence of our problems. You remember the Apostle Paul when he had this thorn in his flesh and he prayed to God three different times and God removed it. And God said, my grace is sufficient. I assume that that is quite often, if I can use that term, God's thought regarding our problems. His grace is sufficient. All the suffering and confrontation that Jesus Christ had, he trusted in God's grace. <clears throat> By way of proposition to you this morning, the Holy Spirit is a free gift as a result of our being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins. I have five things here that I'd like to share with you concerning the Holy Spirit. Firstly, is his identity. Who is he? Well, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 is referred to as what we would call the third person of the Godhead or the Trinity. There Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is identified with God, with Christ, and uh, you remember back in Genesis chapter 1 at the beginning of creation as the water, waters covered the entire earth, and we are told there that the spirit hoovered or brooded, as some translations refer to it as, over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let us make man in our image. There, the Father, Son, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter John chapter 1, and the word <clears throat> that the, the word was with God, and the word was God, and John chapter 1 and verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then when the word ascended into heaven, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, is when the, the uh, spirit descended on the apostles there, and the, uh, but his identity, he's the third person, of the Godhead, and uh, he is not to be spoken against. Matthew chapter 12 and uh, verse 32, there uh, Jesus has cast a uh, demon out of a blind and mute man in the, uh, uh, 
The unbelieving Jews have, have accused Jesus of doing this by the means of Satan or one of Satan's uh, allies. But uh, Jesus said, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this age nor in the age to come. And it was with that occasion that Jesus started preaching, teaching the people with parables, speaking in a veiled language. If you wanted to know what Jesus said sometimes, you had to go back and ask him for a further explanation. And this is what the disciples, we have a record of the disciples frequently doing this. As they got away from the crowd, they would ask Jesus for an ex explanation. But his identity is, he's the third person of the Godhead. He is not to be spoken, uh, spoken against. Secondly, his person. Some refer to Jesus as a, uh, as a force. Like a, some refer to him as a, like a, like a magnetic force, the spirit. But he has the attributes of a living person or the qualities, the characteristics of a living person by, the, by, by his identity. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that uh, Jesus can be grieved. And that, I believe that's by way of uh, our speech. Uh, how we conduct ourselves. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19, we're told uh, not that a spirit can be, he can be quenched when we disobey the word of God. Uh, I think that, as it says, quench, put out his fire, put out his influence. All of this speaks of the Holy Spirit as being a living entity as some refer to it, a living being, and of the fact that he, he dwells within the believer. There are several passages that speak of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a living being, part of the Godhead of God, that is promised to the believers who have been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, as we are told in uh, uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Thirdly, his residence and person. He resides in the bodies of Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? There it speaks again. He characterizes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as living within the uh, uh, the uh, Christian's body, and uh, uh, all goes on in that uh, particular passage to uh, in verses uh, 16 through uh, through 20 concerning the matter of a uh, man connecting himself with a prostitute. He says the man and the prostitute become one. Since the characterization there is, since the man has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When he joins himself to a prostitute, the Holy Spirit within that man, if he stays there, is also joined to that prostitute. And that is a uh, defamation, let's say, if I can put it that way, concerning the Holy Spirit. We are bringing respite 
the morning. Here he is holy. He's living within the man or the woman. And they join themselves to a prostitute. The Bible speaks of that as being one of, uh, being a, uh, being a joint companion, so to say. But this emphasizes the oneness of the Holy Spirit with the believer's body and the actual presence of the Holy Spirit. There is a contention amongst uh, Christian church, churches of Christ. Uh, um, I have several, several commentaries who uh, elaborate on this matter, that the Holy Spirit dwells within the believer by way of the Word. It's a fact that the Word, the Holy Spirit, does not work separately from the Word. The, uh, faith, Romans 10, 17 says the faith cometh by faith cometh by, 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 the, uh, by the Word, the word, uh, the word of God or the Word of Christ. But uh, his residence and his purpose, his residence is within the body of Christians. Uh, his purpose is to give spiritual life, as we read in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. Whoever, <clears throat> however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong in him. If Christ is in you, though your body is dead because of sin, Yet the Spirit is, a, is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his Spirit. And there we have a picture of a Godhead. We have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of Christ. All three are mentioned in those particular uh, passages, and it is by understanding in Acts, uh, where it says, Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, uh, verse 19 says, Be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are people who claim, unless you actually mention, you say, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But if you don't add the name of Jesus Christ, that baptism is valid. Romans what I've just passage read, Romans 8, verses 11 through 13, Matthew 28 and 19, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, in my understanding, equate the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the name Jesus Christ as being one. To say in the name of God is equal to Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ. To speak in the name uh, of the Spirit, although I don't know that that's uh, pronounced in the Bible, or we don't have an, an example of that in the Bible. I don't know about that. Or in the name of Jesus Christ. To speak in the name of Jesus Christ is also to speak of the Father and the Holy Spirit. They're one. Known as the Trinity, which is not a biblical uh, term, but the Godhead. But the three in one, <clears throat> his residence, again, his purpose is to uh, strengthen our spiritual life. As we read in Ephesians chapter three, three Paul's prayer is that God would grant, grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner man. Again, speaking of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. How can we live the Christian life? It's difficult. 
absolutely difficult. Much more difficult for some people than, than, than for others. It just depends on the circumstances that, that, you, that you live in. Uh, depends on your first uh, personal uh, situation. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is to strengthen our inner being, which is our willpower. And it's by our willpower and the indwelling of the Spirit that we are able to overcome sin. Another purpose of the Holy Spirit is to uh, make our spiritual life productive, as we read in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. We all want self-control, I think. But the first one is love. Maybe we're not too keen on that, especially concerning those who offend us. But when we get love down pat, to say, use that term, self-control, I think, is going to naturally come. When we love ourselves the way we should, love our bodies the way we should, and love those who are against us as we should, we're going to have a handle, I believe, on self-control. Another aspect of his, of his purpose is to intercede in our behalf before the throne of grace and mercy. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how, how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groans too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Here we have the illustration of the, when we don't know how to pray as we should, when we, can't, when we just can't put words with our feelings, that the Holy Spirit, with a language known by the Spirit and God, a communications, I'm going to call it a system, or whatever it is, but they have a means of expressing himself to God. And there we have the picture of Christ is interceding in our behalf before the throne of grace and mercy. We don't know how to pray for what we got before us, but with the indwelling of the Spirit, he takes our situation before God to Christ, and Christ intercedes in our behalf. Here we have the Trinity, the Godhead, dealing with us in our prayers. The Holy Spirit takes our feelings to Christ. Christ says to God, if I can use it uh, in this illustration, Father, here's this, here's this person whom I died on a cross for to save, and they need this done. And God responds, and it says, let us go before the throne of grace with confidence. 
confidence that God is answered, going to answer our prayer. What we have is the identity, his person, person, his residence and purpose. And fourthly, his guidance. In John chapter 16 and verse 3, we read this. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose it to you, what is to come. Now, that was spoken strictly to the disciples, to the twelve. Paul wasn't there. Uh, Judas is out of the question, but Paul comes along maybe, I don't know, four or five years later, that he would receive the uh, the, uh, the same promise, but the idea of being guided into all truth. I cannot say that everything I'm saying here this morning is absolute truth. The things I've spoken here are. But the other things, you know, uh, I studied this out. Uh, I threw away the first one that I started on. And, uh, you know, I really didn't. Uh, I've been making notes in, to this until right before I came to church here this morning at 8 o'clock and did something back there and uh, rehashed it uh, before I came up here. But the matter of being guided into all truth, that was to the 12, that was, and the Apostle Paul. We'll call him the 13. But what about us? Well, Jesus promised the disciples that they would be guarded, guided into all truth by the spirit of truth after his departure. The Apostle Paul affirmed this as truth in uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and uh, beginning in verse 4. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not, not made into the, known unto the sons of man, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul declared that his oral message to the Thessalonians was the word of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 13, for this reason we, are, we also constantly thank God when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but that it really is the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. Paul told the Thessalonians, what I told you is the actual word of God. So, when we look at our Bibles, and uh, this, this one has uh, called a uh, red letter edition. Maybe you've got one of those Bibles. And uh, people see that, and they say, boy, that's what Jesus said. And now, Paul, now that's a different situation. The black letters are as effective, as reliable, as the red letters. <clears throat> Paul, again, Paul declared that his oral message to the Thessalonians was the word of God. He declared that his written words are just as authoritative as his spoken words in the second letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 2 and verse 15. Paul wrote that the, quote, 
which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37. The things that Paul wrote. Romans, 1 Corinthians, so on. Were the Lord's commandment. Except where he says, in my opinion. But then he qualifies that by saying, but I think that's the Lord's command. Or I think that's the Lord's will. Not the New Covenant, the New Testament era, era began in Acts chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written during the Old Testament time under the Old Covenant. The terms of pardon were not given in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were given in Acts chapter 2 with the beginning of the church, known as the birthday of the church. That's when the terms of pardon were given. Be a believer, repent, confess, and be baptized. That was the beginning of the terms of pardon. Much of a Christian, much of professing Christendom claims salvation in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's under the Old Testament time. We live in the New Age, the New Testament time. But again, Paul wrote the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment as writings and as, as writing and the other New Testament letters as a, are as authoritative as the red letters. Paul's authority established by Paul's authority was established by his being taught in Arabia for three years by the resurrected Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 19. After Paul's conversion, he was led by the Spirit into the country of Arabia, where he was taught by the resurrected and ascended Christ. I'm assuming maybe in the fashion of Christ appearing to him on the road to Damascus. But he spent three years there being taught by, by Christ, which made him an equal to the apostles. And this is one thing the Christians, Corinthians had against Paul by elevating the other apostles. Hey, Paul didn't spend it this three years or whatever, three and a half years, whatever it was, with Jesus like the other, like, like Peter. And frequently they called into question Paul's authority as apostle and also called into question the things that he taught and that he wrote. And fifthly, some results of the Spirit's indwelling. Number one, the Spirit is a new, new creature, or as other translations refer to as a new creation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. He is the seal of our salvation, or pledge of our inheritance, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, and again in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22. The Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit is our down payment on heaven. It's our pledge. Am I going to go to heaven if I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? That's the down payment. It's what would be known as earnest money. The problem is we can't give up. We have to pursue maintaining the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
He sanctifies us, that is, he sets us apart as holy, as being a Christian, Romans chapter 15 and verse 19. He is the means by which the Christian can put to death the deeds or the misdeeds of the body, as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse, verse 13. How do we live the Christian life? Over the years, there have been various people who have, and one particular man who made this comment more than once, in the fact that whenever they could get over this some particular habit, then they'll come to church. But they don't feel right coming to church and doing some particular thing. And they can't get over doing that. It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that helps us get over doing that. By way of illustration, have a... Uh, we worked with a man over in Haiti for a while, and uh, we used to communicate by email quite frequently. And uh, one day he said about a particular uh, church, a church at uh, Lister, it was the name of the place, and he said there was a man there who was an alcoholic. He said he wants to be baptized. What shall I do? I told him, well, the matter of the Holy Spirit helps us live the Christian life. I said, no. Explain this to him, go ahead and baptize him. If he's committed, get rid of this. And uh, he baptized him, and as time went by, I asked him how the guy was doing. And he said he's coming to church, and uh, he's not an alcoholic anymore. And as years went by, the last I knew, the man was active in the church and not an alcoholic. All because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, my estimate anyway, that it was the Spirit that helped him overcome alcoholism. <clears throat> By way of conclusion, the gift of the Spirit, his identity, he is one with God and Christ, his person, he has the characteristics of a human being, his residence and his purpose, his purpose is to give life and to assist the believer in living the Christian life. His guidance is primarily by the authoritative word of God. How does he work within us? We are told that he strengthens our inner being. To my knowledge, and I'm not saying he's not doing more, but that is exactly one particular work that the Spirit does within the Christian other than giving a spiritual life. He strengthens our inner being. That speaks of an active process that is going on. Some results of his indwelling. He is the Christian's guarantee of heaven. By way of invitation, his presence is administered at the time of Christian baptism. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 37. Now when they heard this, that's the Jews who had crucified Christ, they were pierced or pricked to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? They didn't feel saved at that time. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, that's us Gentiles, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And here's the way he calls us. 
by way of the word. And I'm assuming that there's some working of the spirit in this from the standpoint the spirit will definitely work in the preacher, in the one who is giving the witness. If there's one here this morning who has a decision to make for Jesus, especially of confessing him as Lord and Savior, repenting of his sins, and requesting to be baptized.